Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Welcome to HIV Podcast, Sarah. Hello. Um, I have to start by telling you that I am enjoying the blanket fort that you have created. I feel so snug. So we have to explain. Sarah, today is in our office recording there. I am not there with her. Our offices there are, they're quite echoey, aren't they? And so when we started sort of recording, we realised quite quickly that the sound was going to be absolutely atrocious because it was just bouncing all over the place. So Sarah, the little genius, went downstairs. This is going to sound weird because it's like, why do we have cushions and blankets? But at our drop-in at our office, the downstairs is like a regular house, dining room, kitchen, lounge, you know, all of the normal things you'd have in a regular house. So she's gone downstairs, she's got cushions and a blanket, and she's fashioned like a little recording booth for herself to absorb some of the sound and it's working. <laughs> Honestly, this is absolutely brilliant. Oh, it's like I'm in soft furnishing heaven. So there you go. Well, hopefully the sound's okay now. It was very echoey. There's no one else here to absorb the sound. It's just me today. Yeah, it's just Sarah by herself and nobody else in. So it's just, yeah, like you're stood in a little hall, isn't it, with the sound bouncing everywhere. But no, it's sounding very good now. Well done, you. Excellent. You can add like crafty, crafty Carol to your list of um, accomplishments. Yes, sorry, my phone keeps going off. Sorry. Probably from uh, podcast producers. All over the land. <laughs> Asking me to recreate this. <laughs> it's nice to see you anyway. Thank you. Well, it is nice to be here. So freezer toast gate rumbles on, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Everyone let me know how they have their toast. I did not know this had continued. So I can't remember what episode we talked about this in when you cook your toast and you shove it in the freezer to cool it down and then you butter it. Yes. Are people, what are they talking about? So I received some messages sort of the week after and a couple of weeks after, but I'm still getting messages about how people have their freezer. Well, they don't have freezer toast. Mainly people want to tell me that they like very buttery melted toast. It's like they're taunting me, Sarah. They're my people. They We've are your people, very aren't they? wide void, haven't we, between cold toast with butter on top and 
buttery taste. So you're either Camp Sarah or Camp Jess on this one. Oh, this is like the Jennifer Angelina thing all over again, isn't it? We'll get T-shirts printed, Team Sarah, Team Jess. So if you like buttery toast, warm toast where the butter seeps in, uh then you're definitely Team Sarah. And if you are just like me and the one other person that contacted me to say they like their toast like this, then you can be on our team (laughs) if you don't want to join Sarah's army. (laughs) My toast army. We're going to take over the world. It's literally what it is. What else have you been up to this week? I'll tell you what else we haven't checked and we should do, and I will check. We need to check where Sean and Bernice stand on this. We should do a poll. Oh, my God, I'm going to do it. Okay, right. We'll wait for this episode to go out. Then I'm going to put a poll out, everyone. So I'm probably going to do an Instagram story. So please head over there and follow us. We're going to do a poll. Oh, but is this, hang on, are you setting me up to fail? Because I feel like I've had at least 10 messages or comments about the fact of people letting me know they like really buttery toast. And I've had one about the fact that somebody likes it cold. But as a caveat to that, I must also say, they said they like it cold on some types of bread and then warm and melted on others. So are they really in my camp? I feel like they're not. So there's a third camp when it depends on the type of toast. Yeah, type of bread. These are the issues people of the world want to know about. If I were going to tune into an HIV podcast, this is what I would want to hear. This is what you'd expect, is it? (laughs) I just want nothing but toast chat. Just inane (laughs) rubbish, like our day-to-day life. (laughs) There are so many pressing issues in the world right now, but I feel we've peaked with this. Maybe we should move on to um, actual HIV. Oh, the only other thing I'm going to say, I have a little shout out for someone. Ooh, yes. Yeah, before we move on, it's actually someone you know. Who is it? Who do I know? Would you remember how lovely Lauren, and we miss lovely Lauren, who used to like help us out and listen to the podcast, make sure I hadn't made any, you know, huge blunders that we'd missed. Now I'm giving a shout out, lovely Chantel. Lovely Chantel has taken lovely Lauren's place and has been the person listening to some of the podcasts to make sure we make no giant blunders. So thank you very much, Chantel. We very much appreciate all that you do. Yeah, we really do. Yeah, so a lot of shout out for Chantelle there. She's actually our support worker in our Slough Centre as well. So I made it out. Like what she does is just sit around waiting for me to send her a podcast. Nothing else to do. Um, when actually she's she's extremely busy with a lot of complex client work. But I'm like, so could you just listen to this for me, please? Thank you so much for finding the time to do that. What we got? This week. Wait, I know. I know. I've remembered. Normally I haven't. Is it, are we doing children in the UK? Yes. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well done for listening. Well done. Yes. (laughs) So we are looking at the UK. So we've looked at Eliana Martinez and we've looked at the Ray brothers and we've looked at Ryan White. They're all American. So in the interests of being fair, I thought I'd better look at the UK. It felt a bit like we were America bashing and when that wasn't the way it was meant to be. Oh, I see. I see. I thought you meant you needed to be fair by mentioning the UK because we'd heavily mentioned America. And I was going to say, well, to be fair, Sarah, you're going to have to mention all 169 countries around the world. And that might take us quite (laughs) some time. Well, I wanted to know if there were cases where children were barred from school in the UK in the Mm. 80s. And do you know what? I couldn't actually find any stories. So that's not to say there aren't any, because if I'm honest, I got sidetracked by another story. Okay. Was it Grange Hill related? No, No, it was not. 
but I got sidetracked. I went down a little bit of a kind of rabbit hole and I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll this is just how this episode's going to pan out then. We'll go with you on this roller coaster. We're on board. You've got to. I've got nothing else. It's this or nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's either this or switching off now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd found a story about uh, haemophiliac children in the UK. And I was feeling a little bit smug because I thought, there doesn't seem to be any stories about the UK that I can find digging through the archives in my archive outfit, by the way. I'm at the little half moon glasses on. Beret. <laughs> Half moon glasses, I feel like you, jacket. <laughs> but with a beret, I feel like you're like a like a freestyle poet at a coffee shop. Maybe that's the look I'm going for. Anyway, I was feeling quite smug. I couldn't find any stories. You know, there's no evidence of the UK education authorities recommending children be caught in perspex boxes. But what I found, I think, is just as bad, if not worse. So I found an article in The Guardian from the 23rd of January 2022, so last year. And I'm going to read the first paragraph to you. It says a group of survivors and relatives of people who died in the infected blood scandal are suing a school where they contracted hepatitis and HIV after being given experimental treatment without informed consent. I'm sorry. Oh, I wish I'd had my scammer ready for that. Look at your face. What? 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 I know. Can you see why it got my interest? I was like, God, that's bananas. So they're talking about a boarding school in Hampshire called, here we go, pronunciation's never my favourite thing. I would say it's Trelaw College or Trelaw, T-R-E-L-O-A-R. Trelaw, I don't know. Trelaw? Trelaw. Okay. It sounds like um, like you're saying goodbye. <laughs> Trelaw. But you're very posh. <laughs> yeah. Not like us. See ya. <laughs> I don't even know how you say goodbye. I don't wait for you to say goodbye when I leave. I just sweep past you in the office. I don't. Yeah, we always. Do you know what we always say? And it always makes me laugh. But we all do it, and not just us. I think loads of people I know. We always say uh, either speak to you later or see you later, even though we know we're not going to be speaking to each other later or seeing each other later. British thing, I think. Well, I think maybe not. I could be doing a massive disservice to everyone around the world. No, I think it is, though. I think it's like saying uh, I've seen a lot of TikToks where people who aren't from the UK have moved over here and our greetings like, you're right, really confuse people because they'll go to say, oh, yeah, I'm OK. How are you? It's like, oh, I'm that's I'm not asking how you are. I'm saying you're right. Like, hello. Yeah, I, I've seen those. Yeah. So, yeah, Trela. So, we say Trela College, uh, it specialised in teaching haemophiliacs. If you're a haemophiliac in the 70s or, or the very early 80s, when there was no treatment or very little treatment, so if you suffered a bleed, it could potentially be fatal. Right. So, I think the idea is that you've got this education setting where you have got medical staff on hand. That makes sense. So the experimental treatment they're talking about came to light during the ongoing infected blood inquiry. So we've got a big inquiry going on in the UK at the moment, and it's looking at how infected blood was used in the 80s to treat haemophiliacs, was given as blood transfusions, and people subsequently contracted HIV. Yeah, and actually last year, maybe? I think it was last year, yeah. We did an episode on the uh, blood scandal. Do go and listen to that. It's I was going to say fascinating. I'm not going to use that word. Heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. But yeah. do go because do go, that's such a, a huge piece of HIV history, especially in the UK. Now, the inquiry is looking at all aspects of um, infected blood, including 
this college. And a testimony was given by a former staff member of the school. And following that testimony, 22 former students formed an action group to sue the school. So the former staff member was actually the, oh, it's actually the former head teacher, Alec McPherson. So during the inquiry, he confirmed that doctors at the school were experimenting with the use of factor eight. So that's the imported plasma that it was later discovered was contaminated with HIV and hepatitis. So if you have haemophilia, your blood can't clot properly. Factor eight helps rectify that. So they were in the very early stages of experimenting with that to see how it would work on haemophiliacs. And a lot of it had to be imported. And that's what this school were doing. They were experimenting with the use of factor eight. Did it make a difference to the children who were living with haemophilia? Did it not? And so their parents didn't know? Well, the head teacher said at the inquiry that he and other teaching staff didn't question the doctors of the children. Remember, the children are under his care at the school. I mean, it sounds so lapsed, doesn't it? So he says, and I quote, we didn't have any authority or reason to interfere. You can't. Doctors are God, aren't they? No, they're not. Oh, it's very passing the buck, isn't it? It's like, well, it, it's not my fault. I'm the head teacher. It's the doctor's fault. And I'm sure the doctors were like, well, it's not our fault. The head teacher should have said something. I mean, it's like this round and round. No one takes responsibility. Yeah. Uh, he went on to say he consented to the treatment because he trusted the doctors. And he couldn't recall if parents were informed and consulted. I would say that's a big fat no. Um, if you can't remember whether you actually undertook that enormous piece of work that it would take to have every parent consent to this quite complicated health matter for your children, I think it's a no. There, yeah, think I can help him. It's just madness to think as a head teacher of a school or any teacher in a school, if children are being treated with an experimental new method. For haemophilia, for the, the the long-term condition that they are living with, your first thing would be, parents probably need to know about this. Yeah, you'd, you'd think, wouldn't you? You'd think. So they also had a quote from one of the 22 people that are suing who said, none of our parents were ever informed. I'm sure if my mum and dad knew, they would have asked why my treatment was changing. You, They would know if the parents had consented or not, because undoubtedly that many children there would have been a couple of questions or maybe a couple of people or even just one who objected and said actually I don't want the treatment to change that's probably how you know and then they said by 1983 they would have known there were problems with imported factor eight and yet they carried on then he added uh, I'm really angry especially after hearing evidence from the school it should never have happened the staff had a duty of care and I think they were negligent I agree Especially at a boarding school, it would be terrible at any school. But what I mean by that is at a boarding school, children, all, they're totally in your care. They're sort of kept captive by you, literally. I know consentingly. I know it's I not think that's that. pretty much how boarding schools sell that service. We're going to keep your children captive for most of the year and charge you 40 grand for it. <laughs> I should be advertising for them. Yeah. Eaton College is just down the road. You should get onto them. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? If you were going home every night, say it was like um like a regular public state school, and you're going home every day, you're very are you still dying with laughter about boarding schools? <laughs> That's your view on them on boarding schools. Just all kept captive. It's amazing. That's sort oh, of how no. I feel about it. Oh. But you know, but if you're going home every night, if you're in like a, a school where you're not boarding then you're probably going to be chatting to your parents about what's happened that day so Mm -hmm. at a boarding school you've got even less opportunity that's sort of what I meant by holding them captive as in (laughs) 
<laughs> but the children don't have a choice, do they? They have to be there. Uh, no, well, no, they don't. So that's my just... feelings on uh, on boarding school, everyone. Kidnap, essentially. I uh, wonder if any of the private schools <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. ask us to come in and give HIV talks might reconsider their position now. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> um, I should say these views are mine personally and not the views of TVPS. <laughs> yep. It's another avenue of funding ruined. <laughs> okay, let's move on swiftly. Right. So, oh, then look, after all that um, hilarity, this next bit is really sad. This really hit home with me. So the public inquiry heard last year that of 89 haemophiliac children who attended the boarding school in the 70s and 80s, less than a quarter were still alive. That is, that's awful. That really kind of hit home with me. They also spoke to um, a solicitor who is representing the 22 people. And he said it's a straightforward breach of duty. The school was acting in loco parentis. Yeah. So wait, as their parents, is that what that means? Like temporary transitional parents. No, any Latin. I've just literally. I thought loco meant crazy. Do you remember the song going loco down in Acapulco? (laughs) Is that based on the Latin word loco? Is that what happened? (laughs) Oh, I'm not thinking of the Latin. I'm thinking Spanish, aren't I? Okay, let's ignore me. So the school was acting in loco parentis. It failed in its basic duty of care to these already vulnerable boys. They determined they received recognition and compensation for the trauma that them and their families have suffered over the decades. He goes on to say there was a fatal lack of curiosity from the school about what was going on. And actually, I think he's dead right, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Boys were treated as a data set where medics decided to experiment on them. And the parents were entitled to an explanation of what was going on. The school didn't tell them anything because they didn't know anything. It was just all handed over to the medics. I mean, it's, I, I do find this really shocking. It is. It's it's absolutely horrendous. College, the college is still going, although it's not a specialist school for haemophiliacs anymore. And they, they just said they were saddened that 100 of our former pupils were infected with hepatitis and or HIV. Saddened? That's a strong enough word. I feel like horrified should have been. Yeah, absolutely devastated. Yeah. Well, we're sad about it. But anyway, they couldn't comment any further because obviously legal action is being taken. Do you want to know, actually, what else came to light during the inquiry? Do you want to know? (laughs) Oh, I feel like I don't. But I mean, we're in it now, aren't we? I actually can't get my head around the fact that this happened. I can't either. And I've had more time to process it. Obviously, I was reading up on the articles. And I think, you know, when you're reading something and you get that like knot in your stomach, when you're just like, I mean, this can't possibly be true. Yeah, and this then, can't have actually happened. This yeah. is like a, a a film or something that you watch and go, oh, that was, you know, that was terrible. This is actual life. These are mm. people's lives. I know. One day we'll do a poll to estimate how many chocolate buttons I ate whilst doing this episode. Oh, chocolate buttons. I was thinking of you, like, getting upset. So I was thinking, like, you know, tears all over your chocolate buttons. Just resting my head on the desk when it yeah. all got too much. And then Salty coming up tears. I've got chocolate measles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was me. Okay, so what what else did they do? So something else came to light during the inquiry, and that was that some parents weren't prepared for the news their child was infected because they didn't even know that their child had been tested for HIV or hepatitis. So we're in a different part of the UK now. We're going to Glasgow. Again, the early 80s, and it was children who were receiving treatment for their haemophilia at the Royal Hospital for sick, Sick Children. So a testimony was given by a clinical assistant at the hospital who worked at the hospital at the time uh, in the haematology department 
And she said it was an awful moment when staff at the hospital discovered some of their patients were infected after stored samples were tested for HIV. So these are stored blood samples from children. So they've kept them in storage. They've tested them for HIV. They haven't told the parents that they're doing this or the children. And then they realise that some of them are HIV positive. But what was the catalyst? Do we know or does it not say? Because would you just take stored blood and suddenly go, oh, we better test it for this? It would have been around the time when it was coming to light that blood right. transfusions were contaminated. So they were probably, yeah, hearing that this, so yeah, heard that this is happening. I thought, oh, we better check out blood, stored blood samples. And then it comes back. But they did that without speaking mm. with the parents or the children first. Yeah. So she was asked how the parents were told. And she said if she saw the parents in the hospital, she would tell them or they'd been informed or they would be informed at the child's next routine appointment. Now she's asked, does it follow that they would have no advance notice or preparation for the news that was going to be broken to them because they didn't even know their child had been tested? So you're going to your routine appointment for your child where they obviously check your blood and make sure everything's okay and they're going to be told the news, your child's HIV positive. Out of nowhere. Yeah, without even that time where you say, right, we're going to test, it's going to take X amount of time. And although that's still a shock, there's time to process. So the clinical assistant, Dr. Pettigrew, she's called, she was called, she said, yeah, I think that's fair. I think there's a higher index of suspicion amongst parents that their child was at risk of being infected, but they certainly would not have known what they were going to be told. And she said, the other thing is that most of these appointments, the mums would be turning up on their own with the child. It's a routine appointment, right? You don't need your husband with you or your partner or anybody, your family member. You're just there to, for a routine. So they've got no support and they're being told this news and then... Why did they do it this way? Well, she said in hindsight, it would have been better to work out a way to give the news to both parents at the same time. I mean, I'd have just let them know and said, if both of you can make it to this appointment, you know, if if they're not going to give them any prior notice, then at least give them that warning that Mm. maybe both of you should come in. We've got some important things to talk about. They're not giving them a chance to bring somebody else. Maybe maybe there's not a partner on the scene, but perhaps you could bring a friend or you know what I mean? Or why not just tell the parents that they need to screen the children for HIV? Why leave it as this bombshell? Yeah. So at least they can then prepare for the results. Very strange. And she said in her testimony, it was very, very distressing experience because we knew these mothers and I knew these children. We'd watched them grow up. So it was a distressing experience to have to explain to the parents this had happened to their child. Yeah, but like we said, let them know beforehand that this is happening. Do you think, and this is total conjecture because we'll never know, I imagine, but do you think that maybe they were like, well, we won't tell them in case no one's positive and we don't have to do anything about it. And so by the time they'd actually tested, they couldn't then lie and say, oh, we're screening your child because they'd already had the results. So I wonder if that's what happened. It could have been, couldn't it? It could have been that they just thought, well, we'll just do this to uh, as a tick box, just so we're sure, and it all goes horribly wrong. I mean, she does say there wasn't a policy of informing parents about the risk associated with blood products, such as factor concentrates, when it emerged in 1983 and 1984. So when they knew that there was a link between blood products and HIV, there was no policy in place to kind of let parents know this. It sounds to me like, and you know, we're going over a number of years rather than months. And we know how chaotic it was in the early 80s and trying to piece together exactly what's going on. And the government's not really given any guidance, are they, till 85, 86. So 
I can see what she's saying in that even after a link had emerged quite early on, they've got no kind of policy as to what to do with this piece of information and no information on how to inform parents, manage risk. That's a really good point. I can sit here all day and be horrified and like go on and on. Why didn't they do this? And why didn't they do that? If you are the person that has absolutely nowhere to turn to, to deal with it, you can't Google it. You can't be like, oh, how are other people handling this? Or go and ask for advice. There's there's no, yeah. If there's no guidance and you're just sort of making it up, I'm not saying that common sense still shouldn't have prevailed because it should. But I mean, you're sort of out there all by yourself, aren't you? Going, how, what on earth are we, how are we going to handle yes. this? Yeah. So for medical staff, I think it was a hugely difficult time because you're having to make the policies as you're dealing with the situation, which is never ideal. However, the flip side is the parents and the children who would have been, I think if I was a parent at that time with a child in that situation, I'd have been absolutely livid. You're putting your trust, the health of your child with these professionals, regardless of whether they've been caught on the hop or not, they should know how to handle these situations. So I can see both sides is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Now, she was asked whether she accepted that as a matter of principle, the parents of the boys at the hospital had a right to know that factor concentrates might infect their children with a fatal disease for which there was no treatment. And she replies saying it, it was a time of confusion and evolving evidence but she thinks they could have done better. And I think in hindsight, yeah, they probably could have done. She was saying if they had been, it would have been better if they'd been informed and perhaps if there had been a policy, not only in our unit, but in all units to inform parents of this. Health services rely heavily on policy, don't they? Yeah, well, I suppose, especially in services like that, you want you almost want a tick box, don't you? I did X, X, X and X to get to this point. Yeah, and I think if you're working in that setting, you would want that. Oh, it's just... She's not a big fan of the 80s anymore. I'm going to have to find a different decade. What about the 90s? You love All Saints. 90s fashion's come back in, hasn't it? Exactly. This is what I'm saying, Sarah. So maybe every 10 years, you just move your favourite decade up a decade. <laughs> move on one decade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, we're moving away from Glasgow now and looking at more widely across the UK to see whether children with HIV living in the UK experience stigma. Not to such a great extent, I would say. So you know her houses being burnt down or perspex booths. I did find another article in The Guardian. I promise you, right, I research all newspapers, but The Guardian just comes up trumps. It's like we're in sync, one mind. <laughs> in 2008, National Age Trust had written a report about children being discriminated in school because of their HIV status. They'd uncovered six cases against children as young as four. So social workers in Lancashire and Hertfordshire had reported cases where parents were looking for school places and were being turned down when they'd revealed their child's HIV status. Yes, but we have the Disability Discrimination Act. And I don't know if America had something similar, but obviously that makes it illegal to do stuff like this. But the NAT wanted specific guidance for the Department of Education for teachers, etc. So the NAT report gave two examples And this is in 2008, so much later. You'd have hoped everyone would have got the house in order by now. They found two examples. One mother who felt pressured to reveal her daughter's HIV status at a preliminary meeting with the head, but then chose to send her daughter to a different school after being told that dinner ladies would have to be informed in case there was an accident. What what kind of accident would there be where a dinner lady would need to know? I don't know. Are they thinking in the dinner hall with the... I mean... I know you've got knives there, knives and forks, but like they're the bluntest knives you've ever come across, aren't they? But even then, 
what's going to happen? Like, oh, do you know what? Stuff like that really, really irritates me because it's like the most, I'm going to, I'm going to be really blunt. I'm sorry. It's just the most stupid thing to say. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? It's just like, what? I know. And the mum's like, hold on a moment. There's no risk for the other children. If anything, there's a risk to my daughter. Yes. And she's saying, I don't want to make this situation commonplace before my own child knows, which is a very valid point. They also discovered two cases of children who were forced to leave schools because of bullying linked to their HIV status. A school in East Anglia, where the child was told she had the condition by a teacher who wrongly presumed she already knew her diagnosis. Are you joking? No. That's awful. What? Why would the teacher even need to be speaking about, even if the teacher thought the child knew about their status, what, why? Why did the teacher feel the need to be chatting with them about it? It's just bizarre, isn't it? I mean, we're in the 2000s and people are still losing their mind and their sense of logic around HIV. Around, oh, anyway. Last story that I found. Oh, God, is this one terrible too? Um, well, no. Well, yes. Oh, brilliant. I look forward to it. <laughs> so we moved to The Independent and a story from the 8th of September 1996. And it says anxious parents worried about the health of their children have asked teachers to ban a five-year-old boy from school over fears he may have contracted the virus that causes AIDS. I'm not going to mention his name because uh, I don't know if he went on to test positive and I couldn't find a follow-up story, so we're keeping yeah. anonymous. But the paper printed this little boy's name, which in itself I found unbelievable. Are you joking? No, they did. Why? I don't know. They went on to say the child is awaiting tests to see if he has caught HIV after he stabbed himself four times in both hands with a discarded hypodermic needle. We talked about this before, didn't we, in our yeah. risk episode? Yes. So there was no risk. We know that now. Perhaps they didn't realise back in 1996. But he's only, and he's only five. But, but why exactly? Why why print his name in the paper? I don't know. They even mentioned the school. So it said parents of his schoolmates at primary school in Lincolnshire called on the head teacher to ensure that he stayed at home until he was given the all clear. It's, it's, that is feeling a little bit Ryan Whitey. We're going down a little Ryan White road there, aren't we? The other parents are getting involved. They're like, no, don't want him in school. Yeah, don't let him come back till we know he hasn't got HIV. Oh, and by the way, let's publish this all over the papers. Now, his mum said, we are very worried about it. He's been given the HIV vaccine, but it will take three months before we know the results of hospital tests. What, what is this vaccine? Surely that is possibly misreporting. Like in, in 1996, what vaccine were they giving to people? To if anyone knows, if there was some sort of you know vaccine in the 90s, let us know. Yeah, so we can do an episode on it. Yeah, <laughs> news to us. <laughs> the more we do this, the more things come to light. That we're like, what? What? What's going on here? Anyway, that's that. It was only a little story, but it caught my attention because I was like, you've named the school, you've named the child, and all the parents say, oh, it's just awful yeah but look we're at the end thank That's god full roundup of how children were affected by hiv in the 80s and 90s that was a lot almost up to present day i'm gonna keep doing this every time <laughs> every time i go to speak you're butt in brilliant <laughs> it'll make for great listeners there's probably going to be another episode about children in the future yeah it is shocking i don't think there's any other way to describe it i just i feel like in the 80s the 90s even the 2000s people just lose their mind don't they when it comes to hiv and young people and it they just seem to forget that they're children. Exactly. Like that article that published all those details. Like, no, no, no. We don't need to be doing things like that. Absolutely not. 
No, and even if the child's parent who spoke to the papers, she's obviously compliant with all of this, maybe she took the story to the paper. Even if she's saying, I want my child named, the paper surely has an obligation to go, well, hold on a second. You don't actually know if your child is positive or not. So let's not mention the name. We can do this. Absolutely. On something very similar, I know we are normally slamming the media, right? But in this case, we had some media in one of the surrounding areas, so I won't be specific, that was actually amazing at at exactly what you've just said, where we'd had a service user, they were going through an awful lot, they were using drugs, they, anyway, long story short, they had decided they want to go to the newspaper and tell them all about their status and, uh, uh, you know, a whole big thing. And they Mm. went down there. And I was so proud of the journalist because this person had mentioned us that they were accessing support who got in touch with us because they were concerned that this story probably shouldn't be run, that perhaps this person, not forever, if they really wanted it run, let's look, look at it again in a few weeks, months, but they could clearly see, I don't think this is morally correct. I don't think they're in a good headspace for me to run this story and contacted us to have a chat about that. person had then, in a few weeks' time, decided they absolutely did not want to run that story and reveal their identity. You know, so it was a really good call. And that paper could have just gone, well, they were, they came in, you know, they wanted, they asked to speak to me. They gave me my, you know, their story. So why shouldn't I run it? And they didn't. So well done to that newspaper. Yeah, well done. Yeah. I'm completely finished now. Okay, well, I'm glad about that because I can't take any more shock today. It is a bit shocking, isn't it? I think, you know what, I think America had its issues, but so did we. We definitely, definitely did. I mean, we've all learned that today, haven't we? Jeez. I know. But anyway. I'm finished now. I'm going into into my cosy, soft furnishing womb. By that, again, we need to remind people that Sarah's created like a blanket fort. So it just sounds like you're saying you're going into a womb. People can't see you, Sarah. Only I can see you at the moment. I like it. I might work like this all the time. Looks very cosy. It is cosy. Does your back hurt a bit, though? Because I've noticed you've had to sort of lean down and forward for the entire episode. It's not too bad. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going into the fetal position. To end this episode... I'm going to remind people that we are going to put a poll out on our Instagram after this episode has gone out about whether you want to be team Sarah with the puddly butter or team Jess, cold toast, cold butter, no melting. We're not going to put that out there. No, you're not describing my toast in the Gross, best way. puddly not, butter. No, not puddly, warm. I was going to say soft. I feel I've described something I'm going off on a tangent. Like Nigella. <laughs> you like warm, yeah. you like warm buttery toast. You're on Team Sarah. If you like cold, brittle crumbs everywhere toast, then you're Team Jess. Oh, I like how you had to mention the crumbs. Crumbs are a big thing for you, aren't they? Yes, they. Now, yes. Now we talked about this earlier before we started recording. Uh, I find it upsetting. There will be crumbs if you put your toast in the freezer. And how you're going to have to Hoover it, Jess. Yeah, I have. I was saying I have a little compartment in the door of the freezer that that's the toast compartment that the toast goes in. So I have so a do pre. You hoover, hoover no, it out. No, because it's just do I just you don't hoover your it. toaster. I don't hoover the toaster. No, I hoover the garden sometimes. Do you hoover the garden? Oh, I've got artificial grass, so we have to. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, I'm no friend of the planet, Jess. You're not, are you? Getting your chemicals <laughs> I do out. Hoover, I hoover my toaster, so you know the trays, the crumb trays. I hoover those. Oh, it's the most satisfying thing. Let's come back. So I'm going to put the poll out. So if you want to be Team Sarah, vote there. 
if you want to be team Jess, vote for me. And if you vote for us, you might get a little shout out on the podcast. You may well do, yes. Yeah, so get your votes in. And also, if you're feeling like voting, also please do go and vote for us, the Listener's Choice Awards, for the British Podcast Awards. Crowbar that in as well. Just let's have a voting day, everyone. Let's just let's just vote, okay? Let's all vote for hot, buttery, comforting toast. I'm, it's just going to be me, isn't it? By myself with your crummy brittle. Stuff. I was going to say, but I'll be happy because I'll have the toast that I want in my life, Sarah. And that's what—that's the most important thing, isn't it? Out of all of this, that you you have what you want, Jess. Well done. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and video. The HIV podcast is produced by Thames Valley Positive Support. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.